Well, um, my name is Mark Long, one of the pastors here at Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. Um, I work particularly with parents of teenagers, so if they're junior high or high school and older, uh, even some younger ones, uh, I basically help pe- parents walk off the, ed- the ledge, you know. I, I give them lists of uh, military schools for their kids. So it works out very well, actually. I mean, I enjoy it. Um, no, I love my job, working in youth ministry for as long as I did, uh, but getting to work with families, the parents, and it really is a joy. So if I can ever serve you, please don't hesitate to call me. Uh, I'm really good at telling you what you probably shouldn't do based on my experiences, um, rather than you know, top 10 things you should. So. But uh, we are continuing our summer series on the means of grace. Last week, Braxton was preaching on being quiet and be still, and it really is just a layup for me to follow up with that because what, one of the things that you should be involved with when you're quiet and still is the Word of God. And so today we're going to be talking about the means of grace, which is found in God's Word. Um, and, and, and we have to understand that this is for God's children. Not that God won't use his word to convict people and bring them unto salvation, but really this, our text today that we're going to look at is really for Christians. So if you'll please turn your book, your Bible, or whatever your device is, to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. You'll find that this passage, you're very familiar with it. Uh, As a matter of fact, as I um, chose this topic uh, it's not an easy thing to do because I'm not good at topical things. Because then what I do is go through the scripture and go, how many verses can I find about the word of God? And there's only like a thousand. So I'm asking the Lord, Lord, give me the one you want me to have. And uh, he took me to this one among others. And, and at first I went, wow, our churches, they know this one. God's word is alive and active and you know, sharper than a two-edged sword. They know this one, God. But then he said, but they may not know the context of it being given to them. There's a lot of speculation about the book of Hebrews. We're not really sure who the author is. Some think it was Paul. Um, I kind of lean that way. I'm not some great uh, theologian or interpreter, um, but they say there's these little nuances that doesn't demonstrate Paul exactly. But one thing we know is true, because of its Christology and because of its theology, it belongs in the canon of God's Word. It belongs there. Um, And so that's why it's important that when we read this, we understand. Because there are people that tell you, you know, there's there's even books in your Bible that people don't even know who wrote it. One thing we know is true. God wrote it. (laughs) I mean, we'll look at a verse today that reminds us that all Scripture is from God. So if you'll please stand, we'll read this word together. Starting in verse 11, uh, ending in verse 16. Hear God's word. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, would you be kind to us once again as we come to your word, this living and active word, and allow those words to jump off the pages and into our lives and change us. This is what we do as Southerners. We go to church on Sunday, but will we leave changed because of you and what your Holy Spirit has taught us? Please be with all of us, and please be with me, and give me the words to say. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I, uh, I know I'm old, and uh, I'm going to age myself with this, because, you know, when I was young, we didn't have all these video games. We didn't have uh, social media. We basically had sticks and dirt and leaves, and we went outside and we played. And then we would build jumps with those sticks and dirts for our bikes, and so that was our basic plan. Um, but I, don't know if I, I, I do remember this. I can still hear my mom. Her name's Fonzie, by the way, and it really is her name, Fonzie. Uh, she, would, she would call us, we're five kids, call us when it was time for dinner. It'd be, you know, Bobby, Mark, Rosemary, Rob, and Roberta, come on in for dinner. You know, I mean, literally, she would, she would beckon us. We're all over the neighborhood with other kids. But then there was time <laughs> when I would hear this, Mark Edward Long. And oh man, that was not good. I knew I'd done something, you know, there are parts of me puckering up and I was going, gosh, I don't want to go home. You know, then if my dad did it, it was even worse. You know, whenever I heard the Mark Edward and I thought, uh, I don't know. And even in youth ministry, um, and, and, and bless your hearts, now I'm working with you, so it's okay. But um, I live with the fear of hearing from parents. Because youth workers, youth pastors, youth directors, we do kind of zany, crazy things with your kids. And, um, you know, I would get these phone calls. Hey, uh, Mark, I was wondering if I could just come by and meet you and talk to you about something. And, man, I'll just do the phone, throw up. And they go, sure, I'll be glad to meet with you. I, I was afraid of hearing what they had to say. And I li I've lived my life all like that. Just that, that type of fear. And you're going, well, Mark, what, what does that have to do with Hebrews chapter 4? I'll tell you. As I read this passage, I started thinking, what was going on with the children of Israel? Because as you read chapter 4, you're going to read a lot about the children of Israel and their wandering and then this is now directed to us, the followers of Christ. What does it have to do with us? I wonder, if I may say, if that's why we don't spend a lot of time in God's Word. There are a lot of you in here. I mean, people that put me to shame about the amount of time you spend in God's Word. It's awesome. But there's a lot of us who just don't. 
And we give all kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses. You know, I, I come to work and I've I got 50 emails on me, waiting on me. I've got, I've got reminders of this. I've got a meeting. I'm going to all the other things. And I can tell you, this is why even the pastor doesn't spend enough time in God's word. But I wonder down deep is because I am afraid to hear what God may have to say to me. That he would use his word. If it's a means of grace, that's what he does. His word spoken to us. We have it. And we probably have multiple copies. But I wonder, is that why we don't spend a lot of time there? Because he calls us. He calls us by name. And are we afraid to hear what he has to say? If God's word truly is a means of grace in our lives, why don't we spend more time in it? And I promise you this. I'm saying these words and I'm looking in a mirror. So I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not even trying to convict you. I'm not playing junior Holy Spirit. I'm just saying there's got to be a reason. And could it be fear-based? Well, Mark, that's not what it is because I read God's word. I, I, I understand that. But what about when those times hit you like a sledgehammer out of nowhere? Do you run to God's word? Do I run to God's word? God is saying, it's a means of grace. It's, it's how I help you. It's how I guide you and direct you. Let's look at some other passages real quick. I'll just read these to you about this means of grace, the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That sounds awesome. John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Wow, in this day and age in our culture, a definitive statement about truth? Matthew 4, and we all read this before, it's where Jesus has gone on to the wilderness for a retreat. And while he's out there, he is being tempted by Satan. And listen to his response. It's something you understand. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, <laughs> the Word of God, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus again and again faced this temptation from the great tempter, and his response was this, It is written. God said, so you would think we would want to pay attention to that. Even in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us, spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. 
Chapter 2, 1 through 3, we must pay careful, excuse me, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to do what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation of disobedience received as just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to test and saw my work for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. I swore to in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our word. The scripture speaks about itself over and over and over again. It is the very word of God. It doesn't just contain it. It is the word of God. then why don't we spend more time in it? Why don't I spend more time in it? Is it? Could it be possible that I'm afraid about what he's going to say because it is exactly the way it is? It's a piercing word of God, and it exposes, and it shows me things about myself, and quite frankly, sometimes I just don't want to hear it. This piercing word of God, though, gives us three really incredible things in this passage. I hope that you'll see them with me. Verse 11, it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Now, you have to go on back before in chapter 3 and 4 to understand what he's talking about here. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, it says, therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. For we who have believed enter the rest. And now in verse 11 it says, let us strive to enter that rest. Rest from what? I mean, really, I, you know, I'm sitting there going, okay, what? God's rest, okay, I don't want his wrath. I don't want to get zapped. I don't want to get, you know, anything. I mean, what, what's the rest? What are you supposed to strive for? Well, if I could say this respectfully, as children of God, we're instructed into an abiding rest, a living rest, a submissive rest, a rest, and listen to this, from unbelief. Unbelief. The children of God wandered in the desert for 40 years. They had Moses. They had Aaron. They had Joshua, the very mouthpiece of God. They probably went to, sit to, to hear about that often more than we do on Sundays. And, but they still rebelled. Why? Because of their unbelief. A great verse that kind of helps us put this in perspective is found in Mark chapter 9. 
And it's something that just really is awesome. Verse 22 and 24. A man has brought his son to Jesus who has a wicked spirit in him. The spirit just thrashes him. I mean, throws him into water, throws him into fire, just all these crazy things. The father heard of Jesus, brought his son to Jesus, and he says this. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus said to him, I love this. If you can, if I can, And the man says, as Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. We were singing these songs. We were talking about I believe, I believe. But those moments of unbelief are what are, are so dangerous for us. And those moments of unbelief is what keeps us from drawing near and using the very means of grace in our life called the Word of God. But this word, very Word of God promises rest. Rest from unbelief by listening to the, His truth, by applying His Word, submitting to the Holy Spirit, and resisting temptation. The rest which we are to give diligence to enter into, it's, it's not our heavenly rest. We, we will get that. And I look so forward to that. I mean, that's when I'm really just going to melt, you know? I'm just going to rest looking at Jesus. But we're still called to be here. How can I know that rest here? When I say I believe, but yet help me in my unbelief. Rest equals believing and yielding our lives to what is said in his word. But there's the rub. We don't get into his word enough to read about this rest, to understand this rest. Mark, have you read the Bible? Have you read the first chapter of Matthew? Have you seen that genealogy? That stuff's boring. Have you read numbers? Oh my gosh, my head wants to explode. And I'm going, they all serve a purpose. God gave us the genealogy. Why? To show us how important family is to him. I mean, and you go on and on. Our problem <clears throat> is we just, we're not diligent. Mark, you're, you're not diligent. But I am so thankful that because of who I am in Christ, he truly is my rest. I, I run to that. In the midst of my unrest, he is the only place I can go to. And you know what he does? He directs me to the script, to the word. And he can go the other way around too. I can go into the word and it directs me to Jesus. We're called to submit, abide, and remain in him. As salvation, we receive peace with God, our life after that, we are to pursue and receive the peace of God. And where's that found? In the rest. Where's that found? As our belief gets stronger. Now, I know I'm a good Reformed theologian, okay? I don't believe that I just one day decided to wake up and believe in Jesus Christ. I don't believe my God said, well, here's the message. Hope you pick me. He didn't do that. He didn't say, well, here it is. I know you're in chain to sin. Okay. 
I know you're dead spiritually, but you know, here's my word and it's powerful and it is. But he also knew that we needed his power to break the chains of sin in our life, to bring this dead man back to alive. So we, if, if it's just as simple as spending time with God's word, learning more about Jesus, entering into his rest, why don't we? Spurgeon said, he who does not long to know more of Christ knows nothing of him yet. So we're called to be diligent. Christians should strive to rest. We're called to give diligence to enter that rest. Pay close attention to what you've heard. We read that. Don't neglect your great salvation. Consider Jesus. Do not harden your hearts. Take care against unbelieving heart. Exhort one another every day against the deceitfulness of sin. Fear the unbelief. Mark Long, instead of fearing God, fear unbelief. I want, I want that fear in a healthy way to grow stronger than my fear of what God might have to say. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of hearing from God in his word. It's called a means of grace for a reason. The question is, Christian, follower of Christ, will you pick it up? The most potent tool we have in this effort of unbelief is the piercing word of God. Secondly, this piercing word promotes obedience to Christ. Now, this is the part of the passage that you guys, we always kind of settled in on. It's fantastic. Verse 12 and 13, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul. We go on and on. That's the part that we usually land on. That's the part that we usually take and put out of context. We set it over here, and it's fantastic by itself, by the way. But in this context, it's amplified. Why, why would God have the author to all of a sudden, for the word of God, in the midst of a discussion about the unrest of the children of Israel, about the unrest of, the, of, of God's children now? Because we need this piercing word of God in our lives to understand how we can deal with the things that are going on in our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be pierced. And I know it's hard. I speak from incredible things in my life. But I'll never forget this, that one, the song I've heard before is, I really do want God to walk the corridors of my life and show me things. If I don't, I'm just out there drifting. I'm just out there, I'm happy. Hey, I go to church on Sunday. But I'm not in God's word. There's nothing impacting me. Well, you know, I'm in a small group. Okay, good. But are you just drifting? We're not called to drift. Do you know what you have to do to drift? Nothing. Zero. To drift doesn't require anything. Just let go. But God has not called us to that. In verse 11, the author warns, let us be diligent to enter to this rest. But then in verse 12, he says, for, 
He's, what he's doing is connecting. Connection is that Israel in the wilderness had and heard God's word, but disregarded it. We should not follow their example of disobedience to his word. You know, we, I don't know if you do, but I always, I always judge the children. I'm going, you, you, you just left Egypt. <laughs> you saw those 10 plagues. What an incredible video you saw. And, and then you're freed, and, and then it, you know, Pharaoh's coming after you. You're at this river, and what does God do? Puts up this, this tornado of fire to fend him off while he parts the water, and you walk across dry land. And I'm going, children of Israel, what more do you need? Boy, boy it comes right back to me. <laughs> what more do you need, Mark? When those things enter your life that, like a sledgehammer, I need Christ. I want to rest there. The Word of God refers to all the spoken revelation, including what came from His very own Son. Now, here's one of the issues we have. One of the big issues is that we have the Word of God, but what happens in in a lot of churches is the cultural Word enters in. And the culture world would be something like this. Well, you know, most people really can't handle a 40-minute sermon, so we cut ours back to about 15. And we, we're not going to talk about sin because we want people to feel good about themselves. And we're, we're not going to talk about all the bad things. Ladies and gentlemen, that is how culture reaches into the church. We think it's some kind of big boom into the front doors. No, it just slithers in there. And before you know it, Culture is giving us the mandates rather than God's word. And sadly, a lot of pastors and a lot of churches are heeding that advice. I saw it in youth ministry. I was told by some of my greatest friends, uh, you know, Mark, you really shouldn't teach more than 15 minutes. They just can't handle it. And I'm going, well, the reality is they can't handle five. But anyway, 15, <laughs> you got to be pretty charismatic and show lots of things and stuff, but but I'm not going to give in, and we shouldn't give in to that cultural word. It denies the power of the word of God. If all we do is hear somebody's thoughts, and we don't hear the word preached, I'm grateful that Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying I'm thankful that when we have preachers come here, they open the word of God. It needs to be that I know I've got this digital thing. Trust me, I've got it open to God's word. But I'm just saying it's here. But we've got to have it. And here's why. And we're going to move quickly here now. Because the word of God is living. Since God is the living God and his word can't be separated from him, the word is living. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. God's living word speaking directly to us even today. I was determined to keep on reading Scripture to you instead of Mark handling, pulling out those 12 and 13 and giving you a top four. I wanted to make sure this thing's covered in the Word of God. 
Because if I'm asking you to do the very thing that I need to be challenged on, but I'm not, giving, I'm not talking about it, we must talk about it. God's word is living. Nature can reveal God. But in a lot of ways, even though people might disagree with me, it can't speak. It can reveal. And I love God's nature. Francis and I went to Alaska, and it's like, whew, God, you're so much bigger just because I went to a different state. But it couldn't speak like God's words can. The other thing is that God's word is active. And what that means is that word, his word is effectual. He, it accomplishes what God intends for it to do. Isaiah 55, 10, 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and make it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I claim that every time I preach, if I'm careful to preach God's word, not my own, he promises that it will accomplish his purpose. That last sentence is mine, not the scripture. That's That's why I, I stand here and preach to you. That's why Bob does all the other pastors, they preach. Because we're preaching on God's word. It will not return void. And I'm praying that God will use that in your life today. Not my words, his. The third thing is that God, God's word is piercing. And like I said, it, we've read it over and over and over again. And just understand that this piercing means that it penetrates, listen to it, down to the core of who we are. It's not just some little little cut. It's God saying, my word is a piercing word. My word is there, and I think about a surgeon, and how he uses the scalpel, and he pierces the skin. I don't know how they do it, but then they find that cancer. And what do they do? They cut it out. Or if they, they have to cut away flesh to heal other flesh, God's word is like that. J.B. Lightfoot says, God's purpose in cutting us is to bring healing, not to leave us wounded. The sharp sword of God's word heals most completely where it wounds most deeply, gives life there only where first it is killed. When it cuts, it cuts deep into the depths of our heart. And we're talking about God's word. And lastly, the word of God is powerful. That's the one that just gets you amped, right? Because it's, it's powerful. It, uh, because that, that's what we need. We need something powerful to, be, to expose us of our sin. God's word cuts deep to the heart level. Verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, For he will, bring out our, he will bring our darkness secrets to light and reveal our private motives. And in this passage he says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's desire is to expose our sin so that we may move to obedience with him. And the last thing is this. The piercing word of God provides confidence. This is where I really just get amped up because I love how the word of God can give me confidence. 
verse 14 through 16, the confidence lies with Jesus. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in the help in the time of need. Confident to hold fast to our confession. Why? Because that was one of the problems with the, with the children of Israel. They wouldn't hold fast to what they said they believed. They didn't hold fast to their confession. And so what is our problem in modern day is the same thing. I will say I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Why? Because it's hard to hold that confession in this world we live in today. It's near impossible outside of the grace of God to hold our confession when the world is crushing in on us and culture is saying these things. It's so difficult. But Jesus is the ultimate and final word of God. He's the incarnate word. He's, the, he's interceding day and night. He's the only mediator between man and God. He's the only one who can defend our case when the accusational finger gets pointed at us. It is Jesus that helps us hold our confession. Consider him. We're confident also because Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. You know, we, we've heard that. We've heard it even preached. That Jesus sympathized with the weakness. In other words, he's, he's been tempted in every way that we have. But do you remember how he was tempted? You remember the, one of the greatest temptations he had was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the tempter came again to him. And you know what the tempter was telling him? Just forget the plan. They're not worth it. And Jesus said, they are worth it. They're my children. And it, he, he fought it so hard that he sweat blood. In your temptation, have you sweat blood? Have I sweat blood? This, this Jesus that we serve, we can be confident in because he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He doesn't approve our weaknesses, overlook our weaknesses, or blame us for weaknesses. Rather, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows, he endures. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. So he can sympathize. There is a um, $100 million campaign going on right now it's a group that wants to reintroduce Jesus to our culture and their slogan is this he gets us I don't know if you've ever seen it you may have seen some of the commercials you can get online and look it up I was going to be pretty slick you know, like Bob and show you one but uh, it never works for me I mean I just computer will probably fry back there and all that stuff but the, the slogan is right here. He gets us. Why? Because he's sympathetic to what's going on in our lives. We can now be confident to draw near. Now, I say all this stuff and it all sounds so good, right? Then why don't we draw near? What is it that's keeping us from drawing near to God? 
It says here to draw near to, the, to his throne. It's not a throne of condemnation, but of grace. You know, I'm glad, again, Oak Mountain is known as the Grace Church. I, I love it. You know, here we go, oh, you work at the Grace Church. I'm going, you're daggum right. Because I want grace to drill deeper and deeper and deeper inside of me. Because I don't get it. I can tell you, oh, I love Jesus' grace, and I believe in it, but then I, I don't act like I do. I, I live in unbelief. Mercy and grace is what I look for in the midst of this. Now, the struggle that the children of Israel had and the struggle that we have is we drift alike. We just, we just drift. And like I said earlier, in order to drift, you, have, you don't have to do anything. Because I I really believe that one of the number one things that the church today deals with is apathy. It's not loving too much. It's not hate. It's just apathy. We're just going to drift in, drift out. I was talking to a friend of mine this week about discipleship, and he said, you know, Mark, what we need to do is get people out of rows and into circles. Because he knows that that's what helps people not to drift. When they can spend time together, they get involved with the Word of God. So the writer of Hebrews encourages us in so many ways to hold fast, to keep a firm grip on our trust in Christ, to believe all God has said through His Word, to unreservedly remain firm in His truth, to boldly approach the throne of God. How? By the means of grace. Which one? All of them. This one we're talking about God's word. And I, I want to encourage you to think about something. My son Hayden, he's kind of like a dog whisperer. I mean, he is just, he's amazing. And he's got this thing with his dog where he wants to, um, he sits on the floor, puts his hands like this, and he says, snuggle. So Scout runs up, puts her nose right there. He goes, no, no, come on, snuggle. And moves up. No, 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 come on, snuggle. And, it just, and this dog just gets all up in his business, all in his face, all this stuff. And God is saying to us, draw near. No, 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 nearer. Get, get closer. No, 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 really close. Come to me, don't be afraid. Draw nearer and nearer and nearer. And one of the ways God allows us to do that is through his word. And I want to encourage you in this way to draw near to God through his word and see it this way. You're so close to the word of God, not in perfection, but just close until the view of everything else gets blocked that would cause you to drift, to dull, and to harden. God has given us another way of helping us draw near, and that's through this table. This table is a way that we truly can draw near. When you, when you stand up here and look at it, it's really different. You really can see the cross. You can see the body. You can see the blood. And we are being called to draw near and nearer and nearer. I encourage you right now that if you haven't 
taking a moment just to prepare your heart to, to take this supper, do that right now, even as I'm speaking. <laughs>